1: Want to cultivate farms and food systems that nourish, heal, and empower? Register now for PASA's 2024 Sustainable Agriculture Conference. Discover resources, services, and products at our expansive trade show, and explore more than 70 educational sessions on climate-smart practices, food justice, soil health, and more featuring a dynamic lineup of speakers, including Reginaldo Hasle Haslemarroquín, farmer and founder of the Regenerative Agriculture Alliance and CEO of Tree Range Farms, and Reverend Dr. Heber M. Brown III, pastor, community organizer, and founder of the Black Church Food Security Network. Find your community at PASA's 33rd Annual Conference in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, on February 8th through 10th. Register now at pasafarming.org slash hrn2024. That's P-A-S-A farming.org slash hrn2024.
2: Welcome to Died Green. I'm Max Usman.
1: And I'm Kate McCabe.
2: Welcome back to the show, everyone.
1: We are speaking with Matt Smith, who is the Manager and CEO of Home Tree, a charity that is based in Ennis Tymon in County Clare and focuses on reforestation.
2: That's like an issue that I think we keep circling around on this show, right? It's not exactly like a food topic, but it's so close because there's so many connections between food and sustainability and like climate issues that you inevitably are always kind of like Circling around the periphery, so there's all these issues about like how we how we eat and how we use land and yeah, how land we,
1: use is a big one. right.
2: How we're gonna use land differently, like in the future, and make things work better for us and for the environment.
1: We talked to Matt a little bit about Ireland's historical landscape and how it got to the point where it is today, which is uh, I don't know the percentage off the top of my head, but certainly predominantly deforested.
2: Well, you know, one of the issues that's like, it's kind of the elephant in the room, right? It's like, we talk around it without always like stating it out loud, but like so much of Ireland's land is set aside for for sheep and for uh, livestock grazing, right? And so...
1: Absolutely. And so when we talk about these rolling green hills, we associate the Irish landscape with um, being open, not being forested, but also... Sheep. I mean, there's sheep everywhere in in everybody's mind when they think of Ireland, whether they've been there or not. And the reality of this situation is that in a lot of areas, um, sheep are actually to blame for.
2: Yeah. Well, we don't have to blame the sheep. There's like probably better ways to raise sheep, right? It's like sheep. It's like us. It's people. It's our policies. It's.
1: Well, it's yeah, it's land use. It's sharing the land.
2: But it's also like. We want to figure out a way that in the future, yes, there can be sheep and there can also be people, but there might be a certain number of sheep raised on a certain square footage or acres or hectares that is sustainable for the health of the soil and the health of the rivers and all this other stuff. Anyways,
1: We're talking about sheep and animals a lot um, for our conversation about trees, but to get back to the forest, I think that home tree is... A really incredible organization that has a very broad vision for what they'd like to accomplish in Ireland. I love the way that they incorporate the community. Um, you know, one of the things that Matt talked about that I thought was really interesting was this idea of making space for change and the way that they targeted with their summer school people who already had an interest in reforesting and rewilding and some of the issues that they work on um, as a way to be able to expand their vision and, and bring in people to train the trainers. That was really interesting to me.
2: Yeah. Ask them how Home Tree's approach to rewilding differed from some of the other people and organizations out there. Um, in the sense that they're much more involved and sort of like managing the landscape and planting native trees and other plants. Um, and I liked his response, which was just basically like, look, we're kind of in a rush here. You know, like the faster we can get some of these things done, the better. While there is a, you know, room for all approaches, that that was something that was a big priority for them and was just like, let's, let's start doing this because the number of species is is dwindling and rewilding creates homes for insects and, and birds and all kinds of things that we're just starting to lose or we've been losing, you know?
1: Yeah. And it was really interesting to hear Matt talk about the evolution of just people's interest in planting trees and rewilding and how that has moved from, you know, an understanding that we need to plant more trees to We need to plant native trees to an area, and then the work that is involved in putting special attention or focus on some of the lesser-known or less popular varieties of native trees, like he gave that example of the witch elm.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's wild. Wild. Wild, literally. Um, well, it was a re- they're a really cool organization, it was a great conversation, and I think that they are, based on our conversation, seems like they're poised to grow and keep doing this really important work, so hopefully we'll be able to have them on the show again and have them tell us how everything that they're kicking off in the next few years is going to come to fruition.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
2: All right, well, stick around, listen to the interview.
1: Welcome to Died Green, Matt. Thanks so much for coming on the show.
3: Yeah, absolute pleasure. Great to meet you both.
1: So I was thinking before we start to go into uh, what home tree is and what home tree does, a lot of people in the United States, when they think about Ireland, given the kind of picturesque rolling hills and the green fields, are really surprised to learn that the island was once, I think, at least 80 percent forested. And also that its natural climate is temperate rainforest. So I was wondering if you could start by talking a little bit about Ireland's current landscape and how it compares to, you know, maybe pre-colonization or a time when Ireland was mostly forested.
3: Mm. I think, um, you know, when the ice started to melt around, you know, 12 to 18,000 years ago in the last kind of ice age, Ireland became detached from mainland Europe. So it became... detached from Britain and the rest of Europe quite early on, Um, Britain kind of remained uh, close to the mainland for a lot longer. So um, because of that, we had a a lot less kind of species diversity, both in flora and fauna. Um, And then as the the ice kind of started to melt, um, there was some really like infertile soil here. And, you know, over the kind of following, I think, six thousand years there there was you know the establishment of native woodland so first species kind of like juniper and birch started arriving um and with, within 6 thousand years Island was believed to have been covered nearly entirely with with native woodland um with around 25 different tree species and England has about 150 tree species and and mainland Europe about 450 so you can see that, you know, us being detached from mainland Europe early on um, meant we had a, a kind of a, a less species diversity. And and it remained that way for um, for many thousand years. And, and it wasn't until really the kind of first farmers ar- arrived around 7000 years ago and then the kind of Bronze Age around, you know, 2500 years ago that islands started becoming they started removing woodlands because they had the tools to do so but they also wanted to smelt iron ore into iron so you need about 2 hectares of hardwood to turn iron ore into iron and that was the kind of main thrust of deforestation in Ireland it's often um the british would be blamed for you know the woodlands being removed from Ireland but actually most of the trees were gone before the british got here and um then that's not to say that, you know, they didn't play a, a tragic role in um, the, the history of Ireland. But yeah, most of the woodlands were gone then. Um, you know, I, I'm also a Cornish man, um, even though I have a kind of English accent. So um, just to kind of, it's not an, an Englishman kind of defending the English there. But yeah, so, you know, a lot of the, the woodlands were removed before then. And when Ireland became independent you know, around 100 years ago, there was very little woodlands remaining, less than 1%. and now woodland cover is, is about 11 or 12 percent so you know there's you know since the the state formed 100 years ago and became independent um there has been you know a lot of work in in kind of reforesting Island or putting trees onto the island and most of those trees would be commercial plantations to to make sure that there was timber um, for the population and you know we've actually done a great job so often the the kind of forestry department or quiltshire would have a bad um a bad name within the kind of ecological circles. I actually think they did a great job in in creating kind of woodland or like timber sovereignty. And I know for certain my house is is almost entirely built out of the plantations from 30, 40 50 years ago um they wouldn't my house wouldn't be possible without it so yousan and I think that it would have been nicer if we'd made a shift into kind of the establishment of native woodlands a little bit earlier um, and started to see their importance both kind of culturally sociology and you know um, environmentally for natural systems but I think we are kind of very much at the the start line now and and there's a, a, a an amazing shift um into cultivating our relationship with native woodlands and, and building them out. Um, so that's a little little quick overview. That's great. Thank you. So maybe we could take a step
2: back and and talk about, maybe this is obvious to some listeners and, and to, to us, but why is it important to plant trees? Why is it important to reforest Ireland? Why is reforestation important? And what are some of the ways that your work differs from the types of efforts towards reforesting that have been done in the past
3: Hmm. so you know traditionally like nine percent of island is covered in you know fast growing commercial plantations like let's call them tree farms Um, and they are to kind of use the nutrients in the soil and the sun in the sky to create a product Um, and you know that the the primary purpose of that kind of enterprise is, is to get timber and money and the woodlands that we work at, that tree build, are, are primarily focused entirely around creating permanent habitats, permanent woodlands, you know, permanent ecosystems that will kind of self become self-sufficient after the the initial planting. The woodlands that we plant, the the trees grow old they they die they fall over in a storm and the wood that falls on the ground replenishes the soil there is a kind of a circular economy within that ecosystem um half of all the insects on earth live in dead wood so you know really it's about creating natural habitats for biodiversity for birds bugs bees bats beetles um and without those those things um I th- you know i think it's pretty safe to say that we're in a bit of a pickle so when you sign up with the charity regulator you really have to kind of state the reason and there is a 12 reasons that you can sign up as a charity and one of them is to protect the natural world and that's the one that we clicked um and it was in response to 0.1 percent of is covered in the original woodlands in the ancient woodlands um so it was in a response to that there was a critical need from our perspective for these ancient woodlands to be expanded protected conserved um, And that's the work we've been doing since it's our 10th anniversary this year. So for the first seven years, we were a voluntary organization. Um, There was, you know, different board members and um, different volunteers would come and do some planting. And it wasn't until 2020 that we really decided to um, give it a a second wind. And and we decided to bring on, recruit some new board members and decided that it would be a kind of staff run organization so we have now 12 or 13 full-time employees um, we have a, our own organic nursery the only one in the country um and right from seed collecting to planting and then the impact on the kind of rural communities that we operate in um, we feel that there is integrity with all of it, within all of those systems um and i suppose the full ecosystem that, that touches the work that we do. It's complicated, but we have a, a great resource to mimic, which is nature. Nature is quite complicated by design, quite complex um, by design. So we have the blueprint to, to mimic.
1: You know, it sounds like what you're saying is that you, you had a small group of people that recognize the importance of restoring these ancient woodlands. But I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about like the vision for the organization in the beginning and how you kind of went from having this idea about needing to, to reforest the land to actually making something, you know, as, as kind of big scale and, and visionary as, as mm-hmm. what you're doing?
3: Well, yeah, like, um, first of all, um, even our kind of current targets for 2030 and 2050, um, it's still... I believe, kind of meek in comparison to the kind of desperate need of nature, kind of recovery, restoration at scale. Um, we hope to play a kind of a enthusiastic, passionate role in in that kind of transition. But when we began in 2014, um, it was myself, two, two close friends, and a kind of acquaintance off the back of running a non-profit organic farm seen through some of our kind of volunteer farming activities that you know there was a a longing for people within the community actually get their hands dirty and planting trees and after we run a couple of successful tree planting days on the the farm we kind of you know the idea sprung that we would kind of take it as a kind of separate organization and give it a life of its own it was also kind of at the very beginning of what's now called ESG or corporate social responsibility um, that, you know, businesses, local and medium and, and kind of corporate businesses would start to kind of reflect on the impact of the natural world and start giving back. Um, so in the beginning, just through a very small network, had really small funding from different local businesses, you know, 500 euros here, 100 there, 1,000 there, to actually purchase the saplings from a local nursery. And you know, take them with a bunch of you know, kind of local volunteers and do tree planting, potluck-style lunches. And after we planted about thirty thousand saplings at this organic nonprofit farm, basically we we planted all of the the waterways, the riparian zones, and some of the marginal land with with woodland. And um, it was at that point when all of the land available at the farm had been planted, it was either, you know, report that to the charity regulator, say that we've kind of finished our activity or continue it. And it was at that point decided to to really give it um, kind of 2.0, give it a second wind. I stopped my kind of current job at the time and worked on a plan with some of the board members and some of my colleagues I still work with today um, to, to kind of do some vision and exercises, look at, you know, what would be a ambitious target to to reach over the kind of the 3 to 5 years and you know really look at kind of broadening the tree planting into kind of landscape restoration at scale and also how we spilled over how we kind of um you know broke down borders or barriers or boundaries into kind of supporting our neighbors to kind of that were both kind of curious and inspired what we by what we did um, into kind of adding tree systems into their their kind of current farming models. And there'd also always be curiosity, but there'd be quite a lot of barriers in terms of um manpower, funding, design, implementation. So, you know, what Home Tree did from that point was we looked at um owning our own land. So in kind of two and a half years, we've we've gone from owning no land to nearly 500 acres, but mostly, well, not mostly, but at at the same time, um, really be there as both design um, implementation and financial support for um, people on the other side of our kind of our land boundary and, and help those kind of rural farming communities to add tree systems to their land. And, you know, there's about 20 million acres of land in Ireland and Home tree have got no desire to to own much. Um, but we do really want to become a kind of um, proof of concept and an inspiration for, for many of those millions of acres to to be to be kind of in service of the natural world whilst maintaining the kind of cultural um and the the people that are contributing to food production. So um I do believe that they can go hand in hand as you know the the science is out that trees add so much to a farm system, but now it's just making sure that people have access to those resources to to actually add them kind of faster pace as possible.
2: Your work is so tied to the public interest. I mean, obviously, you know, the climate crisis and uh, loss of biodiversity is going to affect our ability to survive as a, a species. Where do you see? Um, given that, where do you see your support coming from? Do you get a lot of support from the public sector? Is it private donations? And have you seen that change since you launched the sort of the 2.0 version of HomeTree? And like, how do you see that? What do you see the future of that? Um, like you said, there's 20 million acres mm. and you have 500. So, you know, how do you close that gap of what you think needs to be done?
3: Yeah, I, I, I'll i never answer the question directly, not um, intentionally, but... um you know the the climate crisis it's not it's it's not going to affect us. It, it, it's radically affecting us right now and billions of people on Earth are feeling the impact of climate change and millions of people have been displaced and are, are regularly. so it's already fully we're in the full swing of it. Um, we're just kind of lucky in the countries that we live and our background to kind of be um, outside of the, the fire, so to speak. But I do think there's been a kind of, at least within our networks and our societies, has been a, a pretty big shift in, in looking at, at kind of giving back to nature to some extent. Um, and, you know, we have been, we've kind of ridden that because we've had more interest month on month. And businesses and the public have, have kind of showed that interest in, in kind of financial support. And obviously the state under a lot of pressure, both from um, the people that live here, but also the, the the different kind of collaborations like the European Union that they're signed up to. So, you know, we are receiving quite reasonable support via grants and funding from the department of agriculture the department of forestry and the european union to, to kind of roll out some of our programs especially in the production of irish provenance seeds um, into saplings the same before would be the only organic nursery in the country and that that's important for us in terms of protecting the natural world um, that we do have kind of like light, light touch and work with the natural ecosystem to produce uh bins the, the state are on board with us. I mean, ultimately, they're a very big ship with loads of competing interests, so they do have to kind of honour all of the kind of competing needs. Um, but yeah, luckily, we have had some some help from them and also kind of businesses and the public e- each year, you know, our kind of gross donations is, is increasing and it's been a, a pretty, an amazing kind of graph, so to speak, since 2020, you know, our, our turnover was, Um, 19,000 in 2019, I think 120 in 2020, 250 in 2021, 650 in 22, 950 in 23. So we are really like seeing that kind of translate into kind of grants and donations. And it's been very reassuring and exciting as uh, the manager of this organization to kind of see growth like that like it's every kind of CEO's you know, dream to to see the chart look like that um and at the same time you know feel a lot of grief around you know species loss biodiversity loss and the impacts of climate change on the kind of global community so um definitely not um too feeling too joyous about the natural world but it does give me a lot of enthusiasm and kind of uh, uh, kind of energy and horsepower to get on with the work at kind of as efficient and um, diligent rate as possible.
2: I wanted to ask about um, rewilding and your approach you know to reforestation. I know that there's different uh, philosophies and different approaches and I've heard some folks talk about how the mo- the most important thing to do is just let let nature do its thing mm-hmm. entirely, and take a completely kind of hands-off approach, and and let literally let whatever the case may be, wild seeds spill over, and and watch the landscape kind of rewild itself over time. And obviously, you're taking a more hands-on approach to planting native species and planting trees, to, um, create these integrated ecosystems. And, but I was just wondering if you could talk a little bit more about those different approaches and how you settled on the type of approach that you all have and the work that you do
3: I spoke earlier about kind of um having the the most beautiful kind of pattern to mimic and that's nature's and, and there's definitely no no kind of size fits-all um, unfortunately and of course you know our approach mimics that I see kind of an amazing stories coming kind of from all around the world about you know projects that have been re- rewilded and don't have many doubts about nature being able to recover, you know post-humans if, if that ever happened or um and you know hope that I can kind of see a world like that one day but you know it, it, intervention is quite important and it's also uh, about humans being on that journey with nature. Um, so we can actually kind of reform our connection with it where I, I don't believe um, and, and humans are the same like no no one size fits all so we all need a different way because we're different and rewilding or natural regeneration absolutely works you know you've only got to look in your own garden and see that nature by design wants to kind of become more complicated if you have a grassy field and you stop mowing or you know letting the cows or horses or herbivores eat the grass. Nature will slowly kind of take over. You'll first have some kind of rambles and bushes, and then you'll have some pioneer species, and, and then you'll have some more of the kind of dominant woodlands take over, and, and it will happen um relatively quick in in the kind of history of the world or the earth. And I, I'm in a bit more of a rush. And so are, uh, you know, the state and the public and and the people that live here. Um so in that case you do need to intervene and and at some times tree planting is important um there's there's definitely a kind of economics around it we began as a kind of tree planting charity where people would pledge for one tree to be planted and that metric really is nice for people on the beginning of a journey um, that have a kind of small business or x amount of employees that they want to kind of pledge a tree for um, we've kind of taken a shift away from that quite early on, is, and we really accept kind of donations and sponsoring of acres to be kind of restored naturally. Most of the pioneer species trees, their seeds are quite light, like willow, birch, and alder, and seeds are carried by the wind, and the predominant wind direction in Ireland is southwest. So if we do go for a kind of national rewilding approach, it's going to be a long time before the the Western Hills will actually see trees again. Um, so it is important to, I believe, to do some systemic tree planting to to kind of um, kickstart that process. And it's mostly because not just me, but us as a species are in a rush to get there. And, and it might it might really help some of the you know other species to kind of maintain habitats if we can kind of put them back in place.
1: One of the things that I think is really interesting about Home Tree is that in addition to having, in addition to the reforesting that you're doing and the community tree planting opportunities, you also have a branch of the organization that is focusing on what I think is very creative engagement with the community. Like in particular, the projects that you have, the Ardna Kala Summer School, and also the... um, the Jin Shenkes, mm-hmm. um project, which involves um, artists doing immersive residencies um, for the summer school, what sort of people participated from the local area, what the reception was like and who you were trying to target for that and and why and what added benefits using approaches to get people's interests um what value do you place in in those sorts of outreach opportunities that go kind of beyond the hard science?
3: We launched the summer school in 2021, and we've done two since then. And, you know, in 2021, we had um, a PDF and, and one small piece of land with no infrastructure on it. So, you know, we're really coming from a place of kind of limited resources. So as we kind of um, build out how we interact with the public, it has been kind of phased. Um, and we want to deliver as much as we possibly can for as cheap as we possibly can do it. So based on that and an offering a kind of pretty um, basic facility, we really were looking for people that were already interested in this work that already had a sense of it. And we wanted to also invite people that could teach us more. Um, so the summer school was kind of built out of a, a successful grant application to run 64 workshops throughout the year, and we decided to bundle them all up and do them over the course of three days. And it was a you know an epic experience. But we were really looking for people already that were interested in this space because we wanted to expand our knowledge and um, get a good sense of the landscape, and also bring people to our headquarters that could kind of give us a bit of information and also share some of the kind of in-depth conversations that we've been having on the way with other specialists scientists um and experts in the field and and not just have them in a closed office but almost have these conversations out in the public Um, also kind of really realized that just like you mentioned a minute ago about rewilding versus tree planting is like we're all on the same team here. Um, and sometimes it doesn't feel that way. So, can we actually kind of create a space where we can have kind of difficult conversations um, with a con- constructive outcome that everybody can kind of be part of that conversation? So, we do build a sense of togetherness within that um, kind of NGO community you know building on year on year we've tried to make it kind of more accessible we've tried to bring in different types of people to to kind of allow them access you know to to the work that we do um we have recently just put in for some funding to to do an audit of our audience to make sure that we're not just kind of speaking to the same 12,000 people over and over again. But, you know, ultimately we are at this stage in our organization when we're still kind of young and under-resourced, we are looking to to have as big an impact as possible. um, So kind of as much bang for your buck, so to speak.
1: Well, I know that Max wanted to ask a question about, about future plans, but sort of related to that, to go back to the summer school, a couple of talks and workshops that stood out to me. Um, a focus on change. One was why change is hard and change and hope. So I I would love to hear your thoughts on that, given what we've talked about in terms of how dire the climate crisis is currently.
3: Yeah, um, I suppose, you know, what that kind of speaks to is that we've known what the problems are for quite a long time. And we've been kind of pumping the space full of information for decades, but um, it, it really isn't working entirely. So the, there is an amazing um, Australian engineer back in the fifties called PA Yeomans. And he designed this thing called the scale of permanence. I'm not sure if you've come, come up against it, but um, he said that landscape, Um, is easier or harder to change based. So the scale of permanent says that soil is the easiest um, and quickest thing to change on a landscape. You know, you can move either increase or decrease soil on a landscape really quickly and really easily. It's, It's really easily done. The second would be, you know, fencing and subdivisions. You can add or remove them really quickly. After that structures, then trees, then roads, then water. Like after that, it would be water the whole landscape culture and climate like climate's really difficult to change in the landscape it takes a really long time soil is really quick to change in a landscape and takes a really short amount of time and culture would be up in the hardest to change and take a really long time so without kind of giving the spirit of that intention without really like looking at kind of cultural change and and maybe some of the reasons why we can't why we find it difficult to transition, um, we're just gonna be faced with kind of the status quo, which was just pump this space full of more information over and over again until, you know, until just kind of by accident, culture changes. So in terms of the, the two elements we added to the summer school, um, hope and change, I have done a lot of work personally, find it fascinating around the kind of concept of deep adaptation, um, understanding kind of our our own thoughts and feelings, like ultimately our own feelings around the kind of decline in biodiversity and natural systems. And and if we can really kind of sit with those kind of thoughts and feelings and, and, and learn to, to to breathe into, accept what's kind of currently happening, what's probably going to happen is we're going to come out the other side ready for some kind of transition. Um, so it's important to kind of just keep giving the idea of change, like enough space, you know, um, very rarely if I'm just kind of um, say I might say um, like right now I, I want to, you know, I've had a couple of kids and haven't been given my physique a lot of attention. Um, I'm probably not going to respond to just like a gym brochure over and over and over and over, and over again probably not going to happen. You know, I'm just going to be like, nah, I'm going to go down for a burger or something like this. What I probably will respond to is like a deep understanding of like what's going on for me right now, why I got into this place in the first place. And then the strategy for change is probably going to spring up from within me, not from just a kind of bombardment of advice. So to change like our own selves, but also our our families our institutes our societies we probably need to do quite a bit of reflection and create a safe enough space for someone to go like hey should we do this differently and create enough space for someone to say no and then slowly within that kind of safer space we're going to go oh maybe we'll try that small thing that you suggested because actually it was okay that i said no the first time and kind of um yeah and you know the landscape as a whole like we are seeing it change and we have seen it change kind of radically over the last kind of hundred years. And I believe that we do have the capacity um, to transition into kind of closer to nature farming practices, add in tree systems, add in woodlands, um, in, into like the world's landscapes, because we've, we've changed it ra- rapidly and quickly loads of times.
2: That's, that's great. I love hearing about that approach it's really interesting I was thinking maybe we could close by you talking a little bit about your um, I know you mentioned you have 2030 plans and 2050 plans and maybe you could talk a little bit about that I'm so curious how you know given like the just sheer massiveness of what's at stake and the work to be done how how you set uh, goals attainable goals for yourselves in particular I think and just to hear a little bit about what's next what you see is coming next
3: yeah it's um firstly like just be careful what you wish for when we decided to take home tree to 2.0 um those six months of planning you know i i made those plans off of a really old laptop um working out of like a really small spare room and we hit those targets almost to the dollar year on year um and using kind of euros as a metric to to kind of show kind of meeting targets and and also it's in in land restored and and people employed and and all of these other things but yeah just be careful what you wish for we have some pretty big plans for 24 we've kind of got more committed funding than we ever have we're going into quite a great year we've got two more years of the summer school looking to kind of double our own internal land bank and double so 500 to a thousand acres um look at Currently, we work with landowners around 800 acres, looking to turn that to 2,000 by the end of this year, 4,000 by the end of the year after. Um, our seed collectors, too, we just got another year's funding for him, so to really build out a kind of robust um, seed collection program for you know, the, the quite rare indigenous seeds that aren't getting um, the attention because they're not commercially viable, um, like Aspen and Geldar Rose some kind of mountain birch, you know, some of the kind of more minor species, witch elm. Um, so really to kind of protect some of these kind of non-commercial species that don't get the the attention. And then we've been kind of radical revolutionaries, not in our kind of out, in our calms or, you know, in, in what we... We're not crit- criticizing we're not critiquing in any way um but we we're being kind of young and, and now it's about kind of putting stability around the work that we're doing um as we become more experienced starting to comment on kind of policy so we can really kind of achieve some of these landscape scale kind of uh natural regeneration um areas so we we want to look at more where we currently own land, which is already being quite strategic, but kind of building out the kind of landowner program around us to create catchment scale landscape restoration projects. And, and they're not about excluding or asking people to stop their, you know, their current activity. Like we we welcome food production and um farming within landscapes, but I do believe that there is a, a kind of a, a tweak to that process that can kind of maintain the kind of cultural work done on the land, but also kind of prioritize nature and the kind of um, health of of the soil in those sites using kind of more natural processes. I think one thing that we want to do is be around for, for a long time and, and kind of be in service of um of change and so to really kind of prove ourselves as proof of concept of pilot programs and to be like in those kind of conversations around changing this landscape, I I think we can offer a a lot of value, um, both from a kind of national level, but also really rural level that, you know, we're speaking to our neighbours and providing trees on a daily basis. So it is going to need like quite a lot of diligence from our board, who are all, you know, really kind of supportive and brought in. I'd say a, a, quite a few more leaps of faith from our funders to to keep saying yes. This this sounds good, exciting. This is new, but there's some great programs out there, kind of like One Percent for the Planet and B Corp. But I do think that the dial needs to be shifted, um especially from those that have. You uh, know, these businesses that fund our work, they're, they're in the I have bucket. um So we are going to rely like heavily on people that have right now to to contribute to to nature because those that don't have so much. Um, they're not capable of it. This We're not after one euro from everyone on earth because that would be crazy. A lot of people don't have that. Um, so we are, you know, if your cup is full, let it spill over into, into nature and just see if you can't kind of let it spill over to, to the areas that have not, if that makes sense. Thank you so much for chatting with us today. Really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, I do feel like there's there's more that we could talk about. Maybe we could have you or someone else from the organization um, on the podcast again about one of your more specific projects. Yeah, I think
3: there's, I mean, loads of people jump out at me. One person in particular, Jeremy Turgenton, who who runs the the seed collecting program. You know, so passionate about his particular kind of area of interest, which is these kind of very rare, um, genetically important stands of trees. As we get to add nuance and complexity to this conversation, you know, like five years ago, four years ago, it's been all anyone could really get wrap their head around or like the general public was was carbon. You know, there was a number that could make sense to each of us based on our impact in the natural world. And I think we've kind of moved way past that. But now I do think we're ready for, and again, a few years ago, people were only really like, oh, that tree isn't native, that's a commercial plantation. Um, And now I think that we can kind of move past that quickly to, like, how do we move towards only planting Irish genetics on Irish soil and American genetics on American... Like, how do we really look at the the quality of the material we're moving around? Um, And, for instance, um, witch elm, it's one of Ireland's native tree species. You know, when all of the witch elm seeds drop from the tree on one or two days... Um, they have to be collected the same day and propagated in bare fertile soil within a nursery in the same day. Otherwise, you will not get saplings. Like without a lot of diligence and around like ultimately finance funding for that particular tree, we're going to see very like more rapid decline in it when we that tree is competing with, for instance, like alder that can be stored, can be grown anywhere can be sent to the south of france to propagate then sent to holland to to kind of grow on in a pot and then sent back because it's so commercially viable versus the witch elm like we really do need to be kind of looking after nature if we if we are interested in its complexity
1: yeah absolutely it's great well thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today
3: pleasure yeah
1: yeah looking forward to seeing what happens next and and following along
3: yeah, have a great day, and, and I hope it gets a bit warmer.
1: Dyed Green is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.
2: Dyed Green is a project of Bog and Thunder, whose mission it is to highlight the best of Irish food and culture through food tours, events, and media. Find out more at bogandthunder.com.
1: We'd love to hear from you. If you have any story suggestions, questions, or things you'd like to share in response to our broadcast, you can email us directly at dyedgreen at heritageradionetwork.org.